we treat each other abysmally on our streets and we can decide to do better. Whether or not you ever want to ride a bike, we can treat each other better. Hey, what's up? This is Kat. Welcome to the Joyride. Hey, what's up, Joyriders? This is Kat, and you're listening to episode number 39 of the Joyride podcast, where we celebrate women on bikes. Why? Because I believe in the transformative power of the bike in our personal lives, our communities, and the world at large. The Joyride is a listener-supported show, so if you like what we're doing here, please visit thejoyridepodcast.com support to learn how you can support the show with a one-time or recurring donation for as little as a dollar. Friends, I'll admit, I'm a little late getting this episode out to you, but it's for good reason. Not only is this interview with Melissa Balmer just super rich and long and full of lots of stuff and lots of great show notes, but she also gave us two free coloring pages. So if you go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash pedal joy, or over to the show notes at thejoyridepodcast.com slash 039, you can download two free coloring pages from Melissa Balmer, courtesy of Petal Love and Melissa Balmer. Now, we would really love to see what you color, so go ahead. In fact, make it super meta. Go over, download them, color those babies while you're listening to the show, and uh, take a little snap, put it on your Instagram, Instagram story, Tag the Joyride Podcast and Pedal Love in that picture, and you'll be entered to win a copy of Taking the Lane Number 14, Bikewitty, a zine on money, class, and bicycling, edited by Ellie Blue, containing lots of great voices, including Tamika Butler and so many more. Let's say we'll give it until April 30th, 2018, so go forth and color. Okay, friends, again, this is a huge episode. This conversation with Melissa Balmer, we talk about the bike as a tool for optimism. We talk about authenticity and advocacy and Melissa's tips for bike shops who want to cultivate a growth market and the surprising promise of bicycling in America. This is a super long episode, folks, so make sure you get your trail mix, your bike snacks, Get some water, so your beverages, and settle in. Settle in, folks. Um, again, lots of show notes, thejoyridepodcast.com forward slash 039, uh, so you can follow along at home. But yeah, let's let's jump on in. Let's meet Melissa Balmer. Melissa Balmer, welcome to the Joyride. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited um, to be on the line with you. Where in the world are you right now? I am in Long Beach, California. Long Beach. Yeah. Long Beach. A little bit south of you. A little bit south, a little bit warmer. A little bit warmer, but finally some rain here. Finally. So we're pretty excited because we're desperate for it. Yeah. Perspective is everything, right? Totally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like rainy in Portland. And then when we really needed it over the summer, it was like 
starting to do the rain dance. Um, yeah, all right. Where is that. it? Where? Where? <laughs> um, yeah. Where, Melissa, where did you learn how to ride a bike? I learned how to ride a bike. I was actually born here in Long Beach, but we moved to Orange County. And I learned how to ride a bike when I was started with a tricycle when I was like three. And then uh, my first bike was a purple Schwinn with a white banana seat and white tassels on the handlebars. And my dad taught me how to ride. And I it's just a very clear, visceral memory of when I learned how to ride without my training wheels. I think it was in first grade. And I remember just hearing him say, you're doing it. You're riding all by yourself. And I was so excited with such a sense of freedom and joy. And I loved it. So that's, yeah, I've been riding ever since. No, and I had a big break though, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, so I do want to go into that a little bit because I think that that's super common actually, as I, you know, talk to more and more women about you know, bikes in their lives. Um, so you did have a, like a long break uh, with where you weren't riding a bike for quite a while. Can you like, did, did that, can you take us through that a little bit? Like did that yeah, stop in like absolutely. high school or tell us more about yeah, it? Yeah, I was, uh, I rode a bike up until I was 16. And then at 16, my parents, I was the oldest of three kids and my parents bought me a car and said, now your job is to take your brother and sister wherever they need to go. And so I was like, okay. And I stopped, I stopped like many people, uh, riding a bike. And I didn't ride a bike again for 35 years. I'm pretty sure it's 35 years. And I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't think I could ride a bike. I knew I knew how to ride a bike because I am one of the people in the country in the 70s that was given comprehensive bike education training through my school. And it was a program they did for kids. You had to be 10, I think, and it was done through police departments. Um, one of our Pedal Love Council members, Fanula Quinn, is tracking down what the heck the program is because it wasn't state. It was throughout the country. And you, when you went through the class and you passed it, you got a little license that said you could ride your bike to school. And it was really the coolest thing ever. So I remembered the rules of the road. I knew how to ride a bike really well, but I deal with chronic fatigue. And um, so I didn't think that I could ride a bike anywhere that would be fun or useful. I, I was watching the bike culture bloom around me. I'd given up my car in Long Beach. I could work from home and ride the bus and walk. And I loved seeing the bikes around me, but I just thought, well, where could I go? And so it took my partner it was then my friend, Charlie Gandy, now my partner, Charlie Gandy, took him about six months of walking his bike places to me. We were working, we were talking about working together somehow for the Bike Long Beach program. Um, and he was the mobility coordinator for the city of Long Beach. And he was very smart about it. He did not push. And he kept saying, well, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Nope, 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 nope. And then finally, he invited me to ride in the Belmont Shore Christmas Parade in 2009. And it was a very short route, less than a mile. And he said, our friend Bernard Serrano with the Cyclone Coasters Vintage Riding Club has a bike for you. It's going to be decorated and everything. Why don't you come out and ride it? And I was like, you know what? I can do that. That I can do. And then I got to the place and looked at the bike, which was decked out. It was gorgeous. It was a 19... 40s like it was all rusted out but cool super cool 
And I thought, oh, holy crap. I'm here with thousands of people. I've never ridden a bike this heavy in my life. Can I do this? And I got on. It was pretty wobbly. And then I kind of like put it in a big circle and I was a little shaky and then finally it clicked and I was like, I can do this. I can do this. And it was time to go out and be on the parade route. And there I was waving my hand and ringing my bell jauntily with everybody. And I was riding a bike again and I have been ever since. So that was my, and that's, uh, I have to tell you that uh, two weeks ago I talked to Kevin Cox, the president of Electro Bicycles and as a marketing uh, and a business person, you will appreciate that his core customer is a 47-year-old woman who has not ridden a, a mother, a 47-year-old mother who has not ridden a bike since grade school. He knows his people, it sounds like. He knows his people. Yeah, he, know, you know, he sure does. You know your audience. You know your yeah. market. Um, hey, well done, Charlie. Good job. Yeah. Good yeah. job. Um, he did a great job. That's fantastic. Do you have a photo of that, any chance? That that cool bike. You know, it, I ended up on the cover of the newspaper the what? next day, and it wasn't because of me. It was because I happened to be riding next to a little boy dressed as Santa. Oh goodness! But I did joke because I was uh, because I'm a, a PR person that I kept pushing the city to want to get the story of the bike stuff out, and uh, everybody laughed at me. They said, "Yeah, she's just going to show. She just showed us up by getting herself on the front of, cover of a of the paper." So. I don't think so, but I do have a picture someplace of the day after. So I was so excited that the next day I went on a longer ride. And I do have a, I think I have that picture on Facebook somewhere that Where, I could find. So what happened there? Were you, were you just like, I can't believe I did this? Or I was so excited. Go? I couldn't believe I did this. And so Cyclone Coasters has one of the largest vintage bike rides in the country. Once a month, like up to 300 people come to ride their extraordinary array of vintage bikes and they meet in front of the portfolio coffee house in long beach and so i kept the bike and went on the bike ride the next day and then i had to like cut out early because i was getting too tired um and i had to like you know walk the bike up the hill because it was too much for me but i just i loved it it was just that sense of freedom and joy um, and ease that uh, I had totally forgotten about. That the bike is a strength maximizer, according to Steve Jobs. So that's really the thing. That's what people don't understand. You know, that reminds me. Uh, um, I read this, and I I'm not sure if it's yours or where it came from. But the bike is a tool for optimism. Yeah, that's my best one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I really like that. Tell me about yeah. it. Yeah. So, so my partner Charlie is one of the architects of the modern bike movement. Any organization that has coalition in it, chances are were started by one of his workshops done 20 years ago. Wow. And he worked as um, a trainer for the um, Bicycle Federation of America. It doesn't really exist anymore. It's basically Mark Plotz at uh, places for bikes running the pro walk pro bike pro place conference that's what that kind of has ended up being but um, Charlie did trainings and helped launch over 30 organizations so um, I'm totally going off base now and I forgot what you asked me this is hysterical um, that's okay I kind of 
I kind of did too. Oh, right. The bike is a tool for optimism. Yeah. So yes. Charlie is one of those people. We bonded initially because I was a, um, a publicist. I was a, a social media and traditional media strategist for creative companies and entrepreneurs. And so the city of Long Beach had raised all this money. So a friend of mine and I were like, well, we want to get Long Beach in the good news press. This is like great. So it's going to become bike friendly. How fun because Long Beach has not a great image. It's much, much better now, but this was eight, nine years ago, 10 years ago. And so we were always wanting to get it in the good news lifestyle press. And we're like, bikes, that'd be great. That That's how we're going to do it. And Charlie speaks in funny, witty sound bites. He just naturally does that. And all of his life, the media has followed him. He was a great uh, favorite of the bike media for years and years in advocacy because the reporters could understand what the heck he was talking about. People that take his classes can understand what the heck he was talking about. And so I just would hear him come up with these really fun things. And I was like, you know, I've got to come up with some great lines. And then it just really occurred to me that all of these people that I knew that had transformed their lives by bike, it was a tool for optimism. Mm. It was a tool for optimism. So, uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite ones. And my next favorite one, people don't like it as much, but um, I think it's important, is that cars are great tools, but terrible masters. Mm. That's And that's really kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, I understand why people don't like that, because it does immediately sort of put us into this servitude kind of place. And it's it's true. There's it's lot, true. There's it's true. It's true. You know, look at the automotive industry and the, you know, oil and, and everything else. Um, and that also reminds me of one, since we're just like pulling out some some quotes. This one's not yes. mine. This is from uh, a favorite artist of mine, Anita Franco. But every tool is a weapon if you hold it right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so that I think that that's really important for us to know on so many levels, which is, you know, to be responsible with the tools that we have. And Absolutely. also that we can use the you know recognize that we can use the tools that we have to fight against things or to you know to make a particular change um you know of course the word weapon is and there's a connotation of violence there but you know it's just every it, i i like what you reminded me there with um you know with the that car quote just similar you know because it is a tool well, yeah. that could be yeah and she she was us. a for the forerunner of the artist uh, taking responsibility for their career and mm -hmm. using the new media tools to flourish. And I think the reason I think that words matter so much is that we have short attention spans and we need to have sound bites that make sense to fresh audiences that will stop and make them sit up and say, oh, wow, you know, I did love to ride my bike as a kid, and I do see these people riding bikes around my city, and it does look like fun. Okay, maybe I can try that. So it's an invitation to try something different. And with a lot of us, you know, we did know how to do it in the past, uh, and we wanted we want to do it again. Not everybody, though. Not everybody. Some people never had the opportunity to ride a bike, and they can. When I got into bike advocacy, I was told I was not the low-hanging fruit. People that had never ridden a bike were not the low-hanging fruit. And you know what? Baby boomer women control the majority of the disposable income decisions in our country. They make buying decisions for four generations. Themselves, sometimes their parents, their kids, and their grandkids. 
those that's maybe not low hanging fruit, but that's what I call a growth market. That is for sure a growth market. It makes total sense. Um, tell me a little bit about where did the inspiration for Petal Love come from? So it started out it really like it wonky. Fits a little bit here. Yes, but. it's it, yes, it does. It started out very wonky. <laughs> I was uh, my friend Georgia and I did the marketing campaign for Bike Long Beach, Share Our Streets. We pitched the idea to do a media campaign and the city said that's great but then we had to do a request for a proposal for it and we didn't win it we won the bigger marketing campaign and part of that was that charlie who was working for the city decided to try to get the pro walk pro bike conference to come to long beach and so i was on we won it and then you got to you got to volunteer your time to help run it and so i was on that committee and we were talking about the committee was talking about who to have as keynotes, and they, the committee wanted to have women. So this is a com- this is a com- online committee of people whose names you will probably know: Andy Clark, Jeff Miller, and other people who are the the founders of the modern bike movement, the movers and shakers of the modern bike movement. And they were saying we need to have a woman as a keynote. And the and then everybody said Jeanette Sada Khan. No, we had her last year. Mia Burke. No, we had her last year. And then there was dead silence. For like, it was probably like a minute or two, but for me it sounded like 10 minutes. And I was like, really? Really? You guys can't think of any women in this movement that you, why aren't they, why aren't 10 or 15 women at top of my awareness? What? What is this? So, I thought about it, and Charlie said, well, if you're going to complain about it, do something. Don't complain, just do something. So I came up with Women on Bikes SoCal, which was a regional advocacy organization to, to bring the stories of women who were doing phenomenal things in biking forward. Then it became Women on Bikes California, and then one night at 4 o'clock in the morning, I think after I had been looking at Susie Wunsch's Velo Joy it had just like she had just completely revamped it and it was like it had always been a cool name but now it was like super chic and super cool looking and i and i went to bed and i woke up at four o'clock in the morning and pedal love was in my head and later i realized oh my gosh it's a play on words for me because i am not just interested in riding my bike but i'm interested in peddling love that for me it's about mindfulness for me it's about how we treat each other and yeah if i was going to be talking to oprah my aha moment would be that oh i pedal love that's really what we treat each other abysmally on our streets and we can decide to do better whether or not you ever want to ride a bike we can treat each other better (laughs) And the bike is the symbol for it. The bike, right? The bike is what people use when they want to show quality of life. It is bike walk scores. Bike walk scores. If you look at the covers of books, if you look at travel imagery, if you look at, it cycles through in fashion, right? Everyone's, the bike will be hot again. The bike is just shown as a quality of life. 
of a time of enjoying yourself. And so, yeah, that's really what I decided that pedal love would be kind of encompass all of that if I could. That I think is so fantastic. It's definitely everything that I feel like is really aligned with with my personal mission. So thanks thanks for doing that and creating that and like finding your, you know, and listening to the muse because like, yeah, sometimes, sometimes you, uh, it's a 430 in the morning and you wake up out of a sound sleep and you're like, that's it. Where did that come from? Yeah. Yes. And that's kind of how drawing again started for me. And drawing and the idea of doing a coloring book and, and other things because I was drawing, I've drawn all my life, but I had wasn't really serious about it. The, like I left it like a car. I left drawing at about 18. And when I was coming of age, the personal computer was just a toy. And then there were word processors. But nobody realized that artistry and graphics would just be completely revolutionized. And my parents were like, oh, you know, art, what can you do with that? And so, I, you know, it was kind of a nice side thing to do on a rainy Sunday. And I started drawing again for my niece and nephew because they wanted things to color. And then I thought, well, I could draw bikes and... It was something that I could do when I couldn't ride my bike. I can't ride my bike as much as I'd like to, but I can draw. I can sit in bed even when I'm having a real bad, tired day, and I can draw. So that was sort of – and it was a way of like – there are people who like to color pictures of bikes who've never been on a bike or haven't been on a bike in a long time, but it could get them thinking about it, right? Because, you know, especially women, we take a really long time to decide to do something. And this is all part of my way of getting fresh audiences to consider it. That's, that's always my thing. How can we get out there? The bike advocacy world and the bike industry serves the enthusiasts well, really well. What we need to do is to get people back on bikes or on bikes for the first time. There are millions of people that we need to reach. And so how do we storytell? How do we market to? How do we engage that audience? We got to try something different. I want to hear a little bit how Pedal Love has has transformed. Like, tell me a little bit about where the, the arc has, of Pedal Love has gone over yeah. the, since, it, since that you first had that light bulb um, muse moment. Yeah, so... How it's really evolved is that I used to really focus on being a publicist and a talent scout. And so doing it through like online blogs and interviews. And then what I realized was that was not really elevating the voice and impact of women who were change agents for bicycling because saying yes to be on interviewed in a blog with me or a podcast with me was really an easy yes. Getting that same woman to put herself forward, front and center for stories in her own local publication, her own regional publication, her nightly news, uh, to be a keynote 
at a local conference, whether it's about biking and walking or sustainability or whatever, that was not happening the way I thought it should. And I had to look myself in the face, which is that because I'd been told I was not the because I was told I was not the low-hanging fruit, because I was embarrassed about dealing with a chronic health condition, having been an avid athletic person all through my childhood and teens into my early adulthood, I rode my bike, I was an equestrian, I jumped fences, I danced. I was embarrassed that I wasn't a badass on a bike. And the bike culture is such that if you have any sort of feeling that way, it will tell you you're right. You have something to be embarrassed about. You're not a badass. So I just realized, wait, I can't expect other women to step forward if I, as a 52-year-old white woman who has led a pretty you know, middle-class life, but very privileged in a lot of ways, a lot of priv- like way, the way, way we traveled when I was growing up and the business opportunities that I was a part of. I got to, you know, I feel comfortable walking up to anybody, anybody. It could be Bill Gates, it could be Oprah Winfrey, and I would feel confident to walk up and say hello. If I don't feel confident talking about bicycling wherever I want to, how can I expect anybody else to do it? I'm not living from a place of authenticity. And so I'd really had to look at that because what I was, I was putting other people forward and not myself. And I am a huge market. People dealing with health challenges. In a lot of cases, it's not like mine. Mine is not going to, mine might not ever go away. I can't build muscle and strength like other people can. But I can inch into it and act and staying active absolutely keeps me feeling at my best. But there are more people sitting on a couch feeling like I feel that can build muscles, but the way you approach that person is is not by shaming them. And we have a culture of shaming people into athleticism. And that's already worked on who it's gonna work on. It's we need to try something different. Like girl track is doing amazing things about getting uh, black women walking. Oh my gosh, so amazing. Walking and voting. If your audience doesn't know about Girl Track, hashtag Girl Track on, they're most active on Instagram and Twitter. Amazing, they're amazing things. And they are, they spoke at a TED conference, not a TEDx conference, a TED conference. So that's where, you know, that's where we need to have women in biking. We need to have them at not just the biking and walking conferences. We need to have them at the thought leadership conferences around the world. The sustainability. Biking's not at the table for sustainability. And to quote our friend Arlie Greenlaw at Shift Off Podcast 2, it's not even in the parking lot. So <laughs> it's like, it's not. And changing out your car living a car light life or a car free life is one of the biggest ways that somebody can personally have an impact on the environment and yet what we market is changing your light bulbs what we market is recycling your trash and curbed Alyssa walker and curbed recently did a piece on what really i'm not sure if Alyssa walker but she promoted it she she's their urbanism uh, editor and 
they did a great infographic that shows you what really influences climate change. And it's, it's, not, uh, it's not so much recycling your trash. So, yes, I've kind of gone off topic. No, no, no. <laughs> there I go. No, it's, <laughs> no, you're right. And I mean, um, I don't know. I just, I could, I could take us off topic very quickly with the recycling and the, and all of that stuff. And so right. I'm uh, trying to reel I don't, myself and it's in. it's not bad. It's not bad. No, it's, it's certainly like, not bad. Like, it's just like, that's not the only thing, you know, like right. the suggestion of like, um, oh, I'm, I know, I don't know. This is, this is going to sound more holier than thou than I mean it. I promise. Right. But the idea that like, if I recycle plastic, that's great, Completely. but Completely. it's, maybe we should like not be purchasing as much of it. Like we not right. as, like single use plastic is the devil. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, and so yes. it's that, it's that kind of thing. It's not just that I'm like using the the thing and then throwing it in the recycling bin for someone else to deal with. It's that, yes. you know, so that's, that's my, so that was my little smirk there, which is like, I could definitely take us off topic. No, it's, and, and, the, and, the, and the, here's the sad thing about it because we are so, um, incredibly marketed to by the car industry right and by the water comp water bottled water companies we we it's like it's a challenge and an opportunity we have to be as good at telling the story of just not using the plastic of that's why I use mindful mobility because I want to tap into people who are Buddhists and people who are no religious affiliation or spiritual affiliation whatsoever, but love mindfulness and have a mindfulness practice. Think about how the heck you're getting around. The car is, we cannot have single use cars with the population and not have the congestion, health problems, all the things we want. We can't, you know, it's like, it's like the car companies sell, sell cars. Like we all are in like the Arizona desert with no traffic. That's not where we are. And we have to wake up to where we are that we've been marketed something. We've been marketed something. It wasn't a right. It's not a right. It's not a right to have traffic free streets for you to drive your car on whenever you want to. Everybody else wants to do it too. We got to look at ourselves and have a little bit of humor. And wow, okay. That worked until everybody else wanted to do it too. That worked until everybody else wanted to move here too. We right. want to live in Portland. We want to live in Los Angeles. We right. want to live in the places where there are jobs right. and restaurants and interesting things. But then we want to complain about congestion. Word. Well, we got to get over it. We got to get over it. Um, that really does open up like a, like a whole Pandora's box. Of, yeah, of, um, I know. You know, especially here in Portland. And there really are not as many bikes as when I first moved here. Exactly. In fact, I closed, uh, closed on my house four years ago tomorrow. Um, not as many bikes on the road. Like for real. I like that. Is because something, we can't, we can't listen. We can't yeah. rest on our laurels and we've right. rested on our laurels a little bit. And I think my, my call to everybody is understanding, and this is why we can't just be talking to our tribes. If we are not engaging fresh audiences to grow bicycling, it's not 
going to be a tool for optimism. And we have a choice right now. We can go with some elegant choreography into the future where it's going to be much denser in places where many of us live, or we can be dragged kicking and screaming and it's going to look like Blade Runner. And let me tell you, that's only fun when you're watching it in the movie theater. That wouldn't be fun to live in. So what is, um, you're a branding expert and um, you're... I'm a passionate branding person. Let's not call me an expert, but let's <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> um, okay. You have, uh, you have expertise in areas yeah. of branding and marketing and storytelling. Yes. Okay. Let's storytelling. own, let's own our power, yeah. Melissa. Yes. Let's okay, own our right, power. Right. Okay. I've got a lot of ideas and a lot of questions. How about yeah, that? and you got a lot of heart too. Yeah. Um, so what is some advice that you would give to bike shops, bike brands? Um, yeah. What, what's some advice that you'd give to them? Here's my thing. I'm trying to not be such a huge critic because I can be a voracious critic about stuff. Because if stuff doesn't make sense to me, then I just, the wheel starts spinning. And I'm trying not to be such a critic because... People in the bike industry really don't like that. It really, they shut down. They can't even hear you at all. So I want to say to the bike industry, you've done a great job. You've done a great job. You build remarkable bikes that last a long time, but you've, you've saturated your market for the professional, the semi-pro, the super avid athletic or even just wants to be avid athletic and just likes to have the really cool carbon fiber bike. You've really served the market well, whether it's road biking, mountain biking, whatever. You've really served it well. It's not to say there isn't growth in those markets. There is growth in those markets. Here's the thing. Those new athletes are not going to necessarily look like what you're used to. And you're not going to, you have served the market that you can serve with the way you've approached it. If you want to grow the market, you need to start with the casual rider, the person who hasn't ridden in a long time or never ridden. Those three are are your growth markets. Because here's the thing. You get those people successfully and comfortably on a bike that works for them exactly where they are right now. Not where you want them to be. Where they are right now. There's a percentage of the population that once they start riding a bike and feeling comfortable at it is always going to want to go faster and is going to upgrade to a faster and faster bike. In order to get all the people that we need to have riding bikes to address all of the challenges that bikes can be the tool for optimism, there's millions of people that need to get on bikes. There's customers for everybody, whether you have a brick and mortar store or whether you sell online, or you're selling out of a van, whatever it is, there's customers for everybody. But we've got to have fresh approaches. We've got to look at what are the car companies doing to seduce us? What's the gap doing to seduce us? What's anthropology or other Zara or other great brands that people love in fashion? Fashion addresses what people are dealing with right now. Fashion is not that interested in bicycling right now. It was the design darling, right? In 2008, 2009, when I started to really get into this stuff, the bike was a design darling. There was the Fendi bike. Then the Target bike came out from the Sony, crashed the system. Um, Other bikes have come along, the public bikes, the Linus bikes, all of these bikes. 
that are so beautiful that the, that the architecture and design people were raving about them. And that's kind of, you know, died down a little bit. And I want to say to people, we, we got to be like Linus. We got to be like Martone Cyclery. We got to be like Electra. They're getting these bikes into the lifestyle media where thousands and millions of more people are being intrigued into riding bikes. I love Bicycling Magazine, but that's one publication. There are dozens and dozens of uh, publications and websites that we can have the story of bicycling in. And so we've got to have different kinds of stories for different kinds of people. And that's why the electric bike is so exciting. And Pedigo, Pedigo has opened 100 stores in the past few years in a time when the bike industry has lost 2,000 stores in the last five years. So is the 100 making up for the 2,000 that have been lost? No, not yet. But electric bikes are going up with a bullet. And Pedigo is selling to baby boomers. Specifically, it's the only bike brand that's focusing hardcore on baby boomers. One of the fastest growing uh, markets for biking. Actually, Georgina Terry talks about that when I talked to her the other day. She talks about how the baby boomer market is, you know, she builds bespoke hand-built bikes or custom bikes. And she said, you know, the bike industry would be wise to wake up to these older women who have disposable income. They might have been athletic riders. They might have even been pro riders. And now the bike has to be a little bit different to keep them riding comfortably the way they want to ride. So it's all about recognizing that um, there are many possible markets out there. You can't just put the cruiser out front as the loss leader with a low price tag and then sneer at people when they walk in the door because they're not the right age, they're not the right weight, they're not the right, they don't ask the right questions, they're not the right sex, they're not the right race, whatever it is. And here's the thing with the bike industry that I'm a casual bicyclist, so I pay attention to that, but my friends who are avid athletic cyclists aren't treated any better. The women are not treated any better. So I know a couple of women that have bike shops have refused to let them ride test ride the high-end bike they wanted. What does that say about us? That's a mistake. <laughs> That's just a huge mistake, um, in in my opinion. Um but I'm going to try not to devolve too much there. What I know, so I know, we, but still, it's still something to think about. No, it is something to think about, and exactly. So what? So for a shop who that that maybe has had this one particular clientele that sees that we they need to do something different for the bottom line, um, for the future and for future growth. What is what are some things that you think they could do? Yeah, the big thing is that online is not going to go away. And I was talking to Dan, man of the man group, about this. It's just a different way of selling. It's all retail. So sell online. It's easy to do. You've got to make sure that your website is mobile friendly. And you're not on some server that your nephew's friend's brother who, like, you don't know how to get in your website and update it, right? Like, 
I use Squarespace for a very good reason. It's mobile friendly and it's 30 bucks a month and I can update it myself and anybody could update it. I could teach anybody how to do it. Um, so if you're, you're not, if you don't have a mobile website, if you don't have an email newsletter, if you don't, if you're not marketing people where they're at, it doesn't matter who your customer is. They're doing the majority of their educating themselves online, whether it's a smartphone, an iPad, or their computer. They're going to do research online. So you've got to have an attractive web website that tells the story of your passion. You've got to have that. You've got to have that. You've got to have a social media campaign that's less about promoting and more about how people's lives are being transformed because you've got them. If you're in business still, you've got people's lives who've been transformed, whether it's by riding a cruiser or whether getting into road cycling, whatever it is, tell that story. Somebody on your team or your son or daughter knows how to take good photos and, and tell stories. So you've got, to, you've got to become a good storyteller. And the third thing I would say is that you've got to educate yourself about advocacy. And I don't mean from the industry standpoint only. I mean, what is your local grassroots organization? Who are they? Do you know them? Do you know that they're the ones working on passing the laws to make biking more friendly in your community? It's not just people for bikes. You got to know what's going on locally because that's your you got to know what your city council members are deciding about. Because the more more trails means more sales and more protected bike lanes means more sales. If you don't know about the status of getting bike specific infrastructure in your city, you need to because that's what's really going to grow. Bike share is not going to kill your sales. But not having bike-specific infrastructure that everybody from 8 to 80 feels comfortable on is. Is bike share the gateway drug? It can be. And for some people, it's a, a, a rental uh, bike rental in Barbados. Um, for other people, it's um, bike share. Bike share, if somebody really starts to like bike share, they're going to want to get their own bike. They might use the bike share for their commuting or going out to lunch or whatever it is. But if they really like it, they're going to want their own bike. And the big thing, we've, we've got to stop focusing so much on commuting. Because for a long time, because that's how we got federal transportation dollars, we had to prove that bikes, bike trips could replace car trips. Well, here's the thing. The majority of people in the car are not commuting. The majority of car trips, 60% or more, are under a mile, which is a very easy trip for even somebody who is not in any kind of shape can do. So we've got to get the toe in the water of getting people to understand how easy it is and how fun it is. How fun is it to go out for coffee with your girlfriends by bike? How fun is it to take your kids to school one day a week by bike? How fun is it to go with your kids to frozen yogurt by bike? Like, we've got to make it fun. We've got to gamify it. Um, less about, because a lot of us live in places where you're just not going to commute by bike. Not in the beginning and maybe not ever. And that can be okay. That can be okay. We can start with the short replacing short car trips. 
And that's, I'd say the fourth thing for bike shops, become a place that it knows how to sell the concept of replacing short car trips and is the place where people can come to learn how to do that, how to shop by bike, how to, they only make money on the accessories. So how many bike shops do you go into that have actually have a bike accessorized that show you what you could buy by bike, how you could go grocery shopping by bike in Portland, you can move people by bike. You get a cargo bike, man. You can do anything, Yo, right? I'm going to, you know, it's so funny because we talk about like bike badassery and, and shaming and everything like that. And um, I'll link it up. So Megan uh, Sinat, I'm sure I'm uh, not saying her last name properly, just moved her household by bike. Her bike community came out and like I saw her promoing it leading up to that. Like, awesome. come on. And, you know, but awesome. it was like, Oh my goodness, you see this like train of people like with furniture in these trailers. It's I mean, it's really cool, but it can it can be um as someone who is, you know, an East Coaster who's new to Portland, uh still consider myself new at four years, you know, there's a little bit of that like if I'm not doing that, I'm not doing enough. There's not enough. I'm not, if I'm not commuting every day in the rain, it's not enough. And, uh, you know, there's that shame and shame and yeah, pain culture, and that's that like, Sufferfest culture of life. <laughs> Sufferfest! You know? Oh my gosh, that's so good. That's so good. We've got to get away from that because that is exactly what turns people off. Because we are a culture that's used to being seduced into being green. We're used to being seduced into uh, giving money for charities. We're seduced into whatever behavior by really brilliant marketing minds. We cannot, we cannot keep having shame fests about bicycling because it's turning people off and people are burning out. People are burning out and going away that were bike advocacy leaders because they didn't because we hit sort of, I don't even want to say it's a glass ceiling because it's happening to men as well. But part of the reason, the, part of the thing I wanted to get into about thought leadership with Pedal Love was that what do you do after you've been the head of the League of American Bicyclists? What do you do when the Alliance for Bike, Biking and Walking goes away? Like what, what are the big green movement people knowing and other nonprofits that are doing phenomenally well, how is it that their leadership isn't burning, burning out and moving on? Um, or are they, or maybe they, I don't think they are. I don't think they are. I don't think, I mean, obviously people leave and go on to other things, but what I would like is that people maybe want to go on to other things, but then they can become enticed back to be to continue the conversation and i know that people want to do their own thing their own way um i know that uh, working on the book um there are people that i really wanted to talk to and really include that don't want to be included and that's their right um but i have a feeling that we just we're not retaining talent and we're not we're not um growing the pie enough we like to rely on volunteers and we ask volunteers to do a lot. And I think it's not a good idea to burn through your volunteers. That's what I think. 
and I've again gone off on a tangent. But <laughs> no, not at all. Um, uh, prosperity pie. Yeah, yeah prosperity um, pie. That Absolutely. Is, yeah, that's actually it's the I, I just kind of stumbled across that business in the past two days, and it really spoke to me because there's this idea of you know um, uh, scarcity and abundance, right? And yes. Like, and I yes. and that, like there are there are. This might be a little too glib, uh, but there are bakers and there are takers, and yep. you know, it's I like, love that. We can That's so good. We can actually like we can make more pie. You know what I mean? We can make more pie. Make That's more exactly pie. it. Yeah. That's like, and and I think that um, biking advocacy in the bike industry is is often slicing up tinier and tinier pieces of pie. Now, I'll say that grassroots bike advocacy has grown tremendously over the past 20 years. It's phenomenal. Um, and yet we're still really wonky. So we really need to recognize that in ourselves. And everybody wonks out when it's their particular, I don't care if it's dog breeding or like I said, I was an equestrian that tells you right there that I'm a horse snob. And I can get really horse snobby. Um, it's like cooking. You take a cooking class and you go and you're excited and they say, well, what kind of cakes do you bake? And you're like, well, I really liked Betty Crocker. And then they'll be like, uh, no, you don't bake. In fact, if you don't grind your own organic wheat flour, you don't bake. We can get that way. We can get that way. Yeah, you know, that reminds me something that, that you'd said before about um, when I asked you about the branding for, you know, for uh, companies, for bike companies, you're like, you know, I don't mean to be critical. Um, and I think that that's a really great point because it very is so very easy to cut things down. It's so much easier to be critical than to create yes. things, yes. you know? And so I, I, and that, I, yes. I don't know. It's just something that, that, that was the vow I me. took last year. So this is the year of listening, which I'm not doing very well right at the moment. Oh, well, but, but the other one, though, I'm, last, I'm listening year? to you. That's, that's what we're doing. Good. I want to hear okay. you. We so, hear you. So last year I decided I'm going to be a creative instead of a critic because I really am a creative. Mm. I'm an artist and I'm a storyteller. And I, like, if I had an opportunity, I've talked to him very briefly before, but if I talked to John Burke, I would say, you have done such amazing things, but I want you at the table in Idaho when they go away and, and they talk the tech, tech and innovation and world leader talk that they do. Like, it's great that you're the president of the board of people for bikes, but you need to be in the thought leadership com conversations for uh, green thinking strategy, for sustainability. That's where we need you as well. Like, we, we need to think really big, really big about this. So it's like, I don't want to be a, a, a critic. I want to say things have been done really well, but if we want everybody to thrive that prosperity pie, we need to think bigger and we need to look at other industries that are thriving really, really well. There are, are, there are a lot of women that are brilliant at branding and online content and um, like Marie Forleo of Marie T TV, right? I, Seth Godin. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm big Seth fans. Seth Godin. These are How folks who like set? really know their voice. They really know who their audience is. They exactly. really know what their message is. Exactly. Yeah. So they're completely authentic. Right. And they are rocking it 
and and they're making tremendous change in the world. And that's really when we looked at when we started to to write the surprising promise of bicycling. It was originally in a, a report, and Jay Wall Jasper was the author of the report, and I agreed to volunteer to host it at Pedal Love and to lay out the report. And I just kept sliding like ideas of women that I knew that I wanted to be featured. And a couple of men, but mostly I was women. I was like, oh, and let's quote her and let's put her in, let's put her in. Because I wanted to have something that was about 360 degrees of bicycling that was at least 50% women in it. Because most of the books that have come out about bicycling are from one person's point of view. It's like how it's transformed. And they, they take a look at a lot of things that are going on, but Pedaling Revolution is the most well-rounded, and then Mia Burke's Joyride. But a lot of them are really, any you know, they're one person's point of view. And so we wanted something that was um, kind of an overview. And it was originally very much advocacy-focused, but as we, we take it from a report into a book, we're expanding and we wanted to give people 13 ways that the bike is growing and um, really it's ways that if you put these same things into play it can grow in your area as well it's not these these are tried in two methods and we wanted to honor the past but look to the future so it's not just about honoring you know oh we got to look back and do what these old white people did these old white men it's no let's take a can we take a minute to even understand what they did and why because it's like looking back at the civil rights movement we have not studied that well enough at all and guess what the kids of never again did those kids were trained in public speaking journalism rhetoric that's why 48 hours after the horror that happened in Florida, they were so brilliant, they're being called actors. No, they were just prepared. Imagine if we were that prepared for bicycling and that on fire and that diverse, right? I'm like, wow. I'm still like, I just watched them every day just so inspired it's so exciting yeah i mean and these are these are also folks who are like really trained in a lot of really organic media tactics too so completely the parallel is 38,000 people are killed a year by guns 40,000 a year by cars so we're 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 neck and neck we're neck and neck and we're horrified by the gun deaths we still weren't really doing anything about it, but we're horrified by the gun deaths. The car deaths, we act like, eh, it's kind of the price of doing business in a modern society. You know? I'm going to pivot here because I think that that is so, I think that that's so strong that I want to like leave it at that um, because I think you're totally right. Um, what is the surprising promise of bicycling in America. And when I ask you that, I mean, like, like actually what's the project? And then yeah. like, what do you think? Like, what's the surprising yeah. promise? So the bike is a tool for optimism and it's integral to dealing with 
some of the biggest ch- challenges of our time. How we get about in our city is cities and and areas is one of the biggest conversations of our time. We're just becoming more populous. We're just becoming denser. Single car traffic congestion's not going away. I live in Los Angeles where you widen the freeway and deuce demand, right? You widen the freeway and six months later, the traffic is even worse. So cities are finally waking up to this. But if we don't have really strong, authentic, emotionally engaging storytelling information campaigns to the public about why biking and walking and transit need to be embraced, we're not going to create the kind of biking, walking, and public transit that everybody would enjoy. They'll go to Europe and say, I had such a great time. I rode the bus. I rode the train. I rode my bike. Yeah, it's too bad we can't be like that. No, no. Amsterdam and Copenhagen chose they chose 30 years ago. They were car-centric, and they reversed it. They didn't just reverse it. They re-engineered it so that the bike was given preferential treatment. And they, we know that if you give pedestrians the safest, then bikes, then transit, then cars, if that's the convenience scale, the safety scale, then you will have fabulous streets for everybody. So... The surprising promise ended up because Jay Wall Jasper is, he was the editor of the Utney Reader when it was, for my mind, it still exists. And I, and I don't want to say anything against it now, but it was really, really cool in the 90s when I knew about it. And it was because we didn't have the digital tools we have today where everybody's sharing everything. It was the national publication that was taking regional and local stories and sharing it on a national level. And it was done in a beautiful way. And so he was the editor-in-chief at that time, and we became friends. Charlie, and, uh, my partner Charlie, and he have known each other for years, and we got on the phone call about something, and a 15-minute phone conversation was two hours, and it just kept being delightful conversations. So we pitched uh, Bosch electric bikes, or Bosch Motors, um, sponsored him to write the report. I volunteered to... Um, lay it out and host it at Pedal Love as a free digital report. And then I said to him, you know, you're really a great speaker and you should be speaking at more conferences. And he said, I'd really like to do that. And so the report has done well. It's been downloaded all over the country. It's been downloaded by people all over the world. But I said, you know, really um, what people pay attention to are books. We should self-publish because the book like I said, it pays homage to the fat, fat past, but it looks to the future. And the reason we want to bring it out uh, in time for May is National Bike Month, and especially June, is that 20 years ago, a group of grassroots bike advocates at my partner Charlie's Thunderhead Retreat, it was the second year of the Thunderhead Retreat in Dubois, Wyoming. This was biking and walking advocates from around the country. It was sponsored and paid for by the Bicycle Federation of America, and it was a brain trust of thought leaders to do peer-to-peer training. And Andy Clark, who was with Rails to Trails at the time, found out that the National Highway Lobby wanted to gut federal funding for biking, walking, and transit. And so the federal transportation bills happen about every six or seven years. And the first time that federal funding had happened for biking, walking, and transit, 
trails and a lot, several other things, or about 13 things that it was covering, had happened in 1991. And it was instigated by one of the co-founders of Rails to Trails and a couple of politicians. And I'm not, it was Moynihan and Oberstar, I believe, that made it happen. Now, what happened is it flew under the radar. It got passed. Not that many people knew about it. There was only a handful of professional biking organizations and even fewer walking organizations at the time. So Charlie was the founder of Bike Texas at the time, and he found out about it and got a lot of the money because nobody knew about the money. So that was sort of, that was the originator. That was the the lead. But then like the TED talk about how to start a movement where it's not the first crazy person dancing, it's the second crazy person that dances that gives everybody else permission. So that was iced tea. The National Highway Lobby, when it came to 1997, when it was going to be uh, renewed, the National Highway Lobby wanted to gut it and get rid of it. And Andy Clark knew that. And he came to the summit, the, the meeting at Thunderhead said, why don't we do a political campaign and ask the bike industry for the first time to fund a national campaign? They came up with the idea, the name of Bikes Belong. One of the people that was at the training was Linda Dupriest, one of the first professionally paid advocates embedded in a bike organization. She worked for Specialized. She was a former professional mountain biker. She said, I'll go to my boss, and a month from now, it was July, a month from now in August, we'll host a breakfast at Interbike for you, and you'll make the ask. And I call it the big ask, because they were asking for $300,000. So they came up with a campaign, and Linda, we're pretty sure it was Linda, called a very important guy, a guy named Leslie Bohm. Leslie Bohm of Catalyst Communications out of Boulder. He was the guy in the bike industry, a marketing guru, who was already thinking that the bike industry needed to get into advocacy. She called him and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make this ask. He went around to the bike industry bigwigs, including Trek, and said, you guys have got to fund this. When they make this ask at Interbike, you've got to say yes. So he beat the drum for a month. Charlie, Andy Clark at Rails to Trails, and Cozy Simon, a woman who was the head of the League of American Bicyclists at the time, made the ask for $300,000. And John Burke said, I like what I hear. I'll give you $100,000 if you can match it two to one by the end of Interbike. And they did. It took them two years to pass the, camp, pass the political campaign. And that resulted in uh, T21, which not only saved the federal funding for biking and walking in public transit, but it expanded it. Anybody who is in any kind of bike advocacy, walking advocacy, somehow it's six degrees of separation to that, that federal funding. It continued for another 14 years, and then Congress changed the wording. So now it's not – the money doesn't have to be spent on biking, walking, and public transit. It can be, and there's only a handful of states that are actually doing it. You live in one of them. I live in one of them. California's jumped from number 19 to number three in bike friendliness in less than five years. There's not very many of us, though. <laughs> so, gosh, gosh, it, was a, it, it was a cross-political campaign. It had the support of 20 
top papers across the country. It's never been repeated. They went, Charlie can't even remember. He was the field manager of the campaign. Linda DuPriest was the admin person for the campaign. They don't even remember how many editorial boards they, they went and met with, how many count, city council, how many Senate people, how many Congress people, um, how many bike shops. It was the first time anything like that had ever been done. And we need to remember that it was the bike advocates that were organized to be ready to say we could do it. They worked with walking and transit advocates and all kinds of other um, grassroots advocates across the country, but they were the, they were the organized force that made it happen. And it's important because the decisions are not made in Washington anymore. They're made at the state and local level. So we have to like be proud of this and recognize we could bring this back. We could bring this back. We could have the words changed again. And it was only like 1% of the funding. I mean, like it was decimal dust compared to what the highway lobby makes and they still wanted to get rid of it. And in a sense, essentially they have for many states because they changed because yeah. they changed the language. Because of that, that trick of the language there. Exactly. That's yeah. the way to say it. It's reminded me that, you know, um, all politics is local. That's like, yes. that's the biggest, strongest thing. It's like, no matter, um, no matter what, no matter what any of the hot issues are, um, they only motivate you if they really matter to you, like personally, yes. like on a personal yes. level. Yes. Um, and so I think it's a really key thing to remind everyone that, yeah, we, ha- we do have this, you know, the, this overarching like federal government, but it is the state and local that is like making the decision as to where those dollars are going. And so there is actually a lot more change that you can mobilize when you don't have to think about building a coalition across all of these different diverse regions. You know, you just like your cohort in your space, you can change hearts and minds like where you live. Yeah, that's actually going to be effective and have an, an impact. It's not easy. Uh, it's not easy. And a lot of people get into politics and then they say, well, this is mean spirited and tough and long range. I mean, infrastructure, you know, bike advocacy is challenging because we are dealing with not just laws, but infrastructure that is really expensive and hard to wrap your mind around. So I get it. It's it's long-range planning. It's long-range thinking. But what's the choice? What's the alternative? Car deaths and um, serious injuries are going through the roof because we are driving bigger cars we're driving faster and we're driving distracted. We need a new kind of mad campaign, mothers against drunk drivers and mothers against distracted drivers. Mm. I mean, that was culture shifting because until she stepped up and said no, it was kind of okay to drive drunk. It was kind of okay. It was just like like we are with Cardiff. It's kind of okay. Sad, it's tragedy, but you know, hey, we want to move fast. Why? Why? You get into this a little bit and you start learning about it and you're like, oh, going faster doesn't, yeah, after a certain point, it doesn't actually get us there any faster. Oh, if everybody's going fast, it actually clogs everything up. Oh, yeah. so it's really, it's a deep, you know, this kind of a deep dive. 
So the book, yeah. So we were talking yeah. about, so the book, so the book is, um, we're working on bringing it out in April and we really want it to be inspirational about the real people that are making this happen across the country so that people can use it as kind of a handbook. It's not a one, two, three, how to, but if you take each one of these 13 things seriously, and we start out with the number one thing that's growing bicycling is equity and diversity. Uh, and go on down, and women are key. Not only the rise of women in, in um, as bike advocacy leaders, but women as influencers for bicycling. Because there are women who are not bicycling, but they're making the choices of what their, their children or their grandchildren are biking. And so there, there are a lot of people that can be our allies that may not want to be get on a bike themselves, but they want to have safe streets for their families. And that's, you know, that's really key. That's going to still grow bicycling, and if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. Um, you know, we talked about that generational buying power. Um, so this is a, you're crowdfunding this? We did one crowdfunding and then, yeah, I think we're going to, I'm working on it and I think we're going to host and we're fundraising all the time so people can go to Pedal Love and if they want to support us, there's things that they can do there. And then I think uh, mid-March, we'll host another uh, maybe short crowdfunding to help us get through the um, layout, uh, proofreading, and all that kind of stuff that you got to do when you're creative, right? When you're doing everything yourself um, to make it flourish. And it will come out in um, ebook and print. So we're going to make it hopefully something interesting for everybody that's awesome we're we're going to link that up um and then when that next campaign does come out we'll make sure we share it out so that folks, perfect thank folks, you i uh, know where to see that um i want to ask you why we should know the name of kitty knox and why did you choose to make her your subject of uh such a good bike summit such a good question thank you so much for asking me this so when I was preparing to go to the National Bike Summit and speak last year at this time, I was also starting to seriously think about doing the coloring book. And I thought, well, okay, I know about Susan B. Anthony, but there are no pictures of Susan B. Anthony ever riding a bike. I'm not sure that she ever did. So I knew about a couple of the other young women that did. Um, Annie... Londonderry. So I thought, well, I wonder, I know about her. I know how to find her. I'd really like to draw her, but who else? When I Google these women, suffrage, I can't remember what I did, but Kitty Knox came up and I thought, how did I ever miss this story? So Kitty Knox was a young woman from Boston who was an avid, avid cyclist. And she was a member of the League of American Wheelmen, the League of American Bicyclists' name at the time. Um, she competed against men and often won in long, long races. And so I'm going to get the dates wrong, but in the late 1890s, they were having their annual conference and she decided to go with her friends and it was in New Jersey. And so she showed up and they wouldn't let her in. They saw her card and then they looked at her face and she was biracial. She had a African-American 
father and a, a white mother. And they wouldn't let her in because she had already been a card-carrying member for like five years. But three years before that, the League of American Women had passed a color barrier and no longer let uh, African Americans in. But she did not go away when they said no. And her friends were incensed. She rode her bike around in front of the event. And she was a very beautiful young woman in this beautiful bloomer outfit. She was a seamstress. So she was all ticked out on a really cool bike. And the media was there. So while her friends were working inside and while some of the league members were like, well, you know, technically she joined before, so we need to let her in. While they worked on that, the media started taking pictures of her and the, pic- the story went around the country. She w- I think she was written about not only in the Boston Globe, but in the San Francisco Chronicle. And because she stayed there and didn't refuse to go away, they did let her in. They let her in. And I thought, this is amazing. And she died not three years later of kidney disease. And her family was too poor at the time to put a headstone on her grave. And a writer, I'm going to forget his name, uh, and I feel very bad about that, a writer who was researching Boston bike advocacy kept coming across her name and came across her picture. And he thought, can I find her family? Does anybody still live here? And he did. And so they were able to track down her family and raise the money and give her a headstone finally. She's in a very famous historical cemetery. And I just was amazed by that story. I mean, it's like Oprah, uh, you guys have uh, finished A Wrinkle in Time. Here's your next story, right? Like amazing story of this young woman. And um, there was a great picture of her and I've drawn her. So, um, yeah. That, so that's why I spoke about her. I love this. She wouldn't leave. Like I she wouldn't it. leave. Isn't that isn't that marvelous? Yeah, like what's the moral of the story there? You know. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. She persists. Exactly. Um, that's totally it. I want to ask you, and uh, and Melissa, you've so graciously decided to uh, provide us and provide Joyride listeners with some some cool images uh, yes, that, we can, that we can color and I'm I have my my own brain wheels turning around some other stuff there so I'm really excited about that I think uh, I've definitely gotten into um, I know the adult coloring thing is kind of weird but I don't think it's weird. <laughs> like I don't think it's weird right it's like there's this it's idea not, there's this yeah. idea that it's weird but it's like not it's just we get to use our our hands and not stare at the screen and all this other stuff. Um, but so I'm, yes, I'm super, exactly. I'm stoked about this, about having some, some new things to, to color and play around with. And we'll have, I'm that. so excited because I think it's a really, I'm really excited to see how people color things. That's so much fun. And I'm really excited that people are admitting that they like adult coloring. It's true. So, 
Yeah. It's true. Like when I, um, we, we work a lot here in, in this household. And so when yeah. it's time to like kind of shut it down, it's like, that's one of the things to not just go into a different screen. Um, that's one of the things to, you know, put on some music and just kind of, just kind of color sometimes occasionally when the schedule permits. Um, so my really, sister started, yeah, my sister started me on the adult coloring book thing. And then my nieces and nephews wanted me to draw things for them. And that's when I started saying, oh, I like to color in other people's books, but I like to draw my own things and color them in. And I will have throughout the day, I will, because I can't sit or do anything for too long. So I will move throughout, right? And everybody should do that a little bit, move throughout. And then I'll be like, oh, it's coloring time. Oh, it's drying time turn on the music, right? And do exactly, exactly what you guys are doing. So good. That's good. I'm excited. Melissa, if you could go for a bike ride with anyone living or dead anywhere in the world, who would you go on a ride with? Where would you go and why? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I'm going to try to answer it without crying. And I cried when I, I prepped myself. So the bike advocacy world has lost a lot of really talented people. And um, I didn't know all of them, but I knew uh, two of them. And so the, the people that I would want to go on a ride with would be Deb Hubsmith, the founder of the Safe Routes to School National Partnership, who I got to have the privilege of interviewing. I think I did the last interview with her. It's a podcast interview. And um, we talked on the phone a couple of times. We emailed back and forth. I kid you not, it was like I'd found my new best friend and we had all kinds of plans of working together on storytelling and media pitching. And then like a week after that, she thought she was completely healed of um, cancer and instead a week later, she got the notice that it'd come back and it and it ended up killing her. Um, so would, Deb Hubsmith would be one. Um, a woman who was very um, influential on my partner Charlie's life was a young woman named Stu- Susie Stevens, who um, was one of the first directors of the Alliance for Biking and Walking and before that very active uh, locally, regionally, and statewide in Washington, um, and ran an organization that ended up becoming a part of Washington Bikes. She would be another one, and she was, I've seen videos, and she was phenomenal, bright, like Deb. Like Deb, um, just remarkable. And then a guy locally here who was magic, a guy named Mark Bixby. He was a, a local bike advocate who is the reason of many things that, are hap- that happened here regionally. And uh, he... Cr- tragically was died, uh, killed in a car crash. And if I could have those three people together with me, and if I could go to Copenhagen and hang out with my friend, Michael Colville Anderson, um, and ride around Copenhagen and do some Viking biking, I would, <laughs> that would be my idea of like where they take it seriously. And I want to live in a country where, yeah, wear a helmet if that's what makes you feel really safe. But I would like to w- live in a country where you didn't need to have to wear one because they don't protect you from as much as people tend to think they do. So I'm not against helmets. I just, 
they're not the answer for everything. And they're not a get out of driving safe free card <laughs> for motors, for drivers. So, yeah. I did it. I did it without crying. I'm very proud of myself. That was hard. <laughs> that sounds like a that sounds like a good joy ride. Yeah. Melissa, what else is on your bike at list? Where else would you like to where else could you go and would you like to ride a bike? You know, if I was um, healthy enough to ride long distances, I don't think there's any better way to see a countryside than by bike. So I would love to tour the wine country by bike. I would love to... I don't want to you know, really cut any place out. But there are a lot of places in Europe that I would like to go by bike. Um, I'm a kind of a sci-fi fantasy geek writer, you know, want to be on the side. So I would love to tour like Ireland and Scotland (laughs) and England by bike. There's just all kinds of places that have these beautiful countrysides. I love cities, but I also love the country. And it would just... It would be glorious to be able to do that. And I totally understand why people like to do uh, road touring. I totally understand it. I'm not really one that would want to camp by bike. I'd like to do the B&B thing. I I like my comfort a little bit too much. I like good warm food too much. But yeah, there's a lot of places I'd like to go by bike. Thank you for asking me that. Um, And there is nothing that is wrong. This is the same sort of like suffer fest mentality, right? Like if you don't want to go, um, like yeah. bike packing and like filtering your own water in the, you know, in the yes. mountains, then it's not enough. No, it's totally enough to do like bike overnights can be done to, uh, you know, to an Airbnb, to right. a really right. nice hotel. Like that's pretty, pretty decadent. Um, you know, if that's, uh, it, it compared to camping, but, and if I that's tell you the that I don't like camping. There's a part of me that likes camping, but, no, but biking and camping together is not what I want to do. They can be, they can be a little, it can be rough. Sometimes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I can't, I know rough on the body really sometimes, well, but my, I'm just like, mm, no, but yeah. yeah. What's, what is it that they call the support wagon? The, for, yeah. Those sag wagons. Yeah. So like yeah. that name has got to change. I, it's true. Cause it's, to, it's if weird. they want to get a different market and, and it's also got to, like not be the badge of shame if you ride in the sag wagon like that's you know i hear of like people that like just kill themselves so they don't have to do that and then they end up miserable so it's like no that should be like the luxury benefit of going on this trip is that you get to uh, and i think it's cool because uh there are lots of different things that have like popped up you know the different bike touring uh companies and everything else that really they understand how to get their people and they'll do the, you know, the wine country thing, but then you can get picked up and they'll take you back. Yes, and, and exactly. And that, this is the, my whole thing with pedal love is that how do we offer people small bite-sized chews, delicious experiences of like people meditate. There's a mindfulness um, movement in this country. People do yoga there's a fresh food movement in this country. 
because it makes their life better. They feel better. People bike because they feel better. But then we wonk out about how we sell it to people. And we don't sell the joy. So at Pedal Love, we want to sell the joy of it. And we want to sell that, just like we said, like that there's room for everybody. Everybody's welcome. And uh, it doesn't matter if you've been looking at my website for as long as I put it up. I'd still love to hear from you. And that's, you know, I, I, I talked, I came on the scene because I hosted the first all-female league certified instructor program. That was the very first thing that Women on Bikes SoCal did. We, I fundraised and hosted that as a scholarship. Little did I know, nobody had ever done that before. Ever. There were not LCIs in Long Beach. There was one. He was very, very active, but he couldn't be every... And he was literally very active in the entire country. So, he was tapped out. There weren't in South Central LA. There weren't in East LA. There weren't all these different areas. And I'm like, okay, we need to train women to do this. And then they have to be committed to serving as teachers. And one of the women that a couple of the women have actually become quite well-known, like Maria Sippen of Building Healthy Communities. Not Building Healthy Communities, a healthy design, is that what she calls herself? Anyways, she went on to uh, be on the board of Multicultural Communities for Mobility. She's in Portland now getting her graduate degree in urban studies, urban planning. And Kelly, uh, Kelly Morris, a friend of mine, who I also convinced to do it, who is uh, African-American, had to ride a trike for a long time because she has um, a kind of arthritis, the joint pain that she couldn't ride her upright bike anymore. And Kelly is older. She's like in her 60s now. She became the go-to teacher. She's the one that everybody, like she passed her exam and boom, because she'd been a former IT trainer. She went right into like everybody's like favorite list to have come and teach. And then she started to specialize in teaching women, especially seniors and women who had never ridden before, how to ride a bike. And it's been remarkable because we've gotten the story all over the place because there are a lot of communities that it was not the thing for women to ride a bike. And it was not nice, like it was, quote unquote, not the nice thing to do. And so there's a lot of women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s who would actually like to ride a bike and have never ridden one. So they think they can't and they can. And she specializes in it. So that's really for me, like when we say we want to pedal love, right? That's it in a nutshell. So Awesome. So I, that's it for me, right? <laughs> I think I think that that's actually I think that's a really great place to leave it. Um, Good, Melissa. Where can listeners uh, follow and find you? Yeah, it's very easy. Pedallove.org. It's P-E-D-A-L-L-O-V-E.org. We are Pedal Love on Instagram. We are Pedal Love on Twitter. I think you can find us through Pedal Love on Facebook. Um, 
and we're even on Pinterest, even though I'm not good at updating it. Same. But yeah, you can yeah you can find us all over the place, and awesome. I hope you will. Thank Melissa, you. thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to um, get my colored pencils going. Good. Good. Get them sharp. All right, friends, big thanks to Melissa for hanging out with us. And also for those coloring pages, make sure you go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash pedal joy to pick those up, or you can grab those at thejoyridepodcast.com forward slash zero three nine. And Melissa and I would love to see what you color. Go ahead and tag the Joyride Podcast and Pedal Love in an Instagram picture, and um, you'll be entered to win a copy of this book right here. <laughs> Taking the Lane, number 14. Can you hear it? It sounds fantastic. It can't wait to be read by you. Um, it's Bikewitty. It's a journal on money, class, and bicycling. It's edited by Ellie Blue, and it contains some really fantastic voices. Uh, Tamika Butler, Adonia Lugo, um, lots of other really great folks are in this. Our friend, friend of the show, Julie Brooks. Um, I've got an essay in here that I'm pretty proud of. And yeah, I'd really love to share it with you. So share your coloring magic, and um, you have until April 30th, 2018, and um, we'll probably do it randomly, but you'll be entered to win this book and I'll send it out to you. And then, and then you can share it with your friends. It's really fantastic. It's about, it's a zine about bicycling and um, intersectionality and social justice. And it's good. Friends, if you enjoyed the show, it would mean a lot if you'd leave a rating or a review in iTunes or wherever you consume this podcast. And in fact, it would be even better if you shared the show uh, with someone who you think would enjoy it too. Um, as always, I appreciate your time and your attention. Remember friends, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. Keep moving forward. And until next time, I hope you enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm.